What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. No longer has the Cavaliers listed as an incomplete on his hardwood Knox report cards. Andrew, co host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started, if you couldn't tell, we're going to do our three quarter poll report cards. We're on the Eastern Conference today. We will be dovetailing it with the biggest question we have for each team. Uh, leading into the latter quarter of the season, just something for us to monitor. Our grades, as always, are based on what has happened since we've last done this, but also the entire season in some. Before we get there, though, just want to continue reminding, begging, imploring, pleading with everyone to keep rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us. We can be found wherever you get your podcast, but iTunes is the best way to let us know that you're out there. So if you have not yet, take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us a rating. Write a review to let us know that you're out there. Subscribe if you have not already, for the love of God, please. If you've done all that, again, we we appreciate love. We'll be eternally indebted to referrals. So shout us out on Twitter or tell a friend or family member or someone that you think needs better, sometimes worse, but always Super entertaining basketball takes in their live lives. Excuse me. With all of that out of the way, we have to ask because people need to know. They have to know. Can't live without knowing. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, except for I have to disagree. I feel like our takes are always better, um, and I, it doesn't. I don't even care what you're comparing it to. Ours are just better. That's all there is to it. Honestly, we should stop watching the games, and they'll be they'll still be better. Exactly. Well, <laughs> according according to like fifty percent of Twitter, I already don't watch the games, so that should be easy for me. That's just like there. That's an objectively awful take in itself. But for you of all people, there are just certain people on NBA Twitter where you know where they were criticizing Zach Lowe's takes on certain teams. Like, did he watch enough of them? Like, there are certain people that you know watch a ton of basketball, and you are one of them, and it's very clear on Twitter. So those people can STFU is my response um, to them. That's like, I think I might have even said this on Twitter the other day, but that's like the quickest tell to me that we're not going to have a real conversation. I don't even like, I might respond with like an ass hattery comment if someone said that to me, but I, I, I refuse to engage anymore because it just feels, yeah. again, it's, it's the lowest form of insult. So come at us with something just better. <laughs> uh, I totally agree. But yeah, I'm doing good. I'm ready to uh, dive into these grades. All right. So um, what do you want to do? You want to do, let's go reverse alphabetical order this time for the East? Sure. Let's shake it up. Um, that would mean it's me, the Washington Wizards. They are, this is all according to Cleaning the Glass, by the way, their vitals. 
They they are 16th in offensive efficiency, 26th in defensive efficiency, and 24th in net rating. They are 25 and 36 overall. Uh, I gave them a D for the season, and that counts what's been happening recently, obviously, as well. A lot of that was taken into account that I just I think they could have done more at the trade deadline. That was certainly part of it uh, for me. And my, my question for them now, and that this is in part because they didn't do more at the trade deadline. One, is it time to actually tank and stop pretending like the playoffs are in reach? There are three games outside the picture right now, which this late in the season is not good, uh, not close to good, actually. And you have teams like Orlando and Charlotte that don't seem like they're going to fall completely off the radar. You can talk me into saying that Washington will catch Miami. That's fine. And so, but there's a realistic possibility to me that maybe you're able to out tank the Hawks who have perked up a bit in recent weeks, uh, maybe even out tank Memphis, depending on what they do with Mike Conley and Conley. And there, when you look at the lottery odds, you know, yes, it's fine if you want to be in seventh, but if you can get to fifth or sixth, those odds are just going to get better for you as well. And now they have to figure out who's a keeper on this roster while doing that. Uh, there have been reports that they want to keep Jeff Green, that they want to bring back Trevor Ariza. Uh, we know they were talking with an ex- talking about an extension with Sadoransky. Thomas Bryant has probably played his way into their future. They can't just be handing out all these contracts. Uh, Trevor Ariza's non-bird rights would be enough to keep him because he's making so much money, but you don't want to pay a 90-year-old Trevor Ariza that much money. And uh, Thomas Bryant, yes, he's played well, but you still have Mahimi on the books for another year. Dwight Howard is definitely picking up his player option. Uh, when he comes back, maybe you should see if you can get quality minutes from him in the middle. What are you willing to pay, Sadoransky? Jeff Green, you don't have his bird rights either, and, and he's making so little that it's probably going to uh, eat into your mid-level exception to keep him. And I'm not sure that they should be going that route. That being said, the reality is I don't see them trying to rebuild from the ground up. And so they're going to bring some version of this core back next season and probably try and make a playoff push with John Wall. So for them, I want to see, one, do you have the stomach to really just tank and increase your lottery odds as best you can right now? And two, can you also figure out who legitimately belongs on this team long term? I'm I'm sure you're not surprised uh, to hear that I agree with you, that they should... (laughs) They should probably steer into a tank. I don't know. You know, a lot of people say we don't want to tank because we want our young guys to get the experience of the playoffs and, you know, see what that feels like and they'll grow from that. That just doesn't really exist with the Wizards. I mean, they they have been pounding their head against the same wall with this team for four or five years. I guess they're slightly different now that that, uh, Otto Porter's not there. But I just – I don't really know what you accomplish – by sneaking into the playoffs as a seventh or eighth seed and just getting destroyed by one of those top tier Eastern conference teams. Like they would just get waxed by the bucks or the Raptors or even the Sixers, depending on, you know, who rises to number three. Um, It it just doesn't make sense to continue to push, but like you just said, um, they should tank and they should steer into a rebuild. It's just hard to see them doing that. They, They have been so averse to that common sense, reset for so long that it's like I guess I'll believe it when I see it um they they have one clear I think building block type player in Bradley Beal uh I like Thomas Sadoransky I I think he's a a really good fourth or fifth guy um 
John Wall is obviously a good player, but with as long as he's attached to that contract, and he might not even play next year. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> health is going to be a huge issue for him going forward. Um, I mean, it, there's just a ton of questions with this team. I think you nailed a really important one. Uh, it just it's really hard. Their their future is just really murky. I didn't even right. mention Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker. Yeah. I would assume they decline Jabari Parker's team option just because you didn't get rid of Otto Porter so that you could deal with potentially being in the luxury tax again. It blows my mind that they essentially traded Otto Porter for Bobby Portis. That was, yeah. Um, and that, it, you, have to pay, you have to pay Bobby Portis after this year anyway. And he's yeah. he's played well for them. He's since... Um, since I we, think he's just been Bobby Portis. Right. Well, I mean, he's... He's shooting forty seven point eight percent from the floor and forty three point three percent from three on, That's good. on yeah. pretty good volume for them. But what are you paying Bobby Portis? He's yeah. also so it's just I I don't know. I'm not I, I don't think they should pay him a ton, but we're talking about I didn't even mention him and there were all those other names that they're gonna be interested in keeping. You know, they're not that far under the tax next year. Like they're comfortably under it, but if you start handing out contracts uh to Sadaransky and Portis you look at keeping Jeff Green and or Trevor Ariza and Bryant, that's – no, it's, it's probably not going to stay that way. Yeah, they're they're in kind of a mess. I mean, I, we've probably ended on that same note every time we've done the grades. That brings us to Toronto, who was also my team. Their vitals, they are – I should probably scroll over to it. They are seventh in offensive efficiency, seventh in defensive efficiency, and third in net rating. They're 45 and 17 overall. Uh, I don't know if you did you say your grade for the Wizards, by the way? Um, I gave them a D plus. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I ever said that. Look at you being higher on them than I am. <laughs> uh, I gave the Raptors in an A minus. My question for them is it they, they have a couple, and one, I, this just feels stupid to ask, but should Kawhi Leonard's shooting be a concern at all? Uh, he's shooting 32.1% from three uh, since the end of December, uh, 29.3% on pull-up threes during that time. Just something to kind of monitor for me. He's existed so out, so far outside Toronto's normal offensive flow that I, I wonder when you look at, yes, they have some nice pieces that they've been able to pick up. You know, Jody, Jody Meeks played some big minutes for them the other night. I really like Jeremy Lin, thought that was a fantastic pickup. But they're not like so deep. Like they were, and Mark Gasol has obviously helped with the second unit. They just haven't proven necessarily that they're so deep, and maybe they are now because of Gasol and, and him spending most of his time with those second unit heavy combinations. I still don't. You, I don't know if you can successfully navigate um, some of these playoff series. Certainly, the first round you'll be fine, but if if Leonard's shooting percentages don't pick up consistently and he's still subject to those swings, I'd be interested to see what happens with the Raptors. I guess my real question for them would be. What's going to ultimately happen with Mark Gasol? And what they're doing now seems is in a nutshell fine. He started one game, but it looks like unless they're going to play uh, matchups like Nick Nurse has been known to do, that he's going to come off the bench um, almost in that Jonas Valanciunas role. But he can do so much more than Valanciunas because of his passing, and he has given um, Toronto a pathway to surviving minutes without Kawhi Leonard and, and Kyle Lowry on the floor. Those possessions were terrible uh, for them for the most part this season. And now with him on the court, 
the Raptors are scoring over 112 points per 100 possessions in about a hundred possession sample size, but it's without uh, Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard. Is that just his role on this team though? Is he's going to come play 23 minutes a game off the bench? Can you close games with him? That's not something that they've really done. Um, at least in crunch time situations since he's come over. I'm just very interested to see how it plays out. I don't think it's a bad thing. And he hasn't, we haven't heard uh, about him griping and maybe he's just at the point in his career where he wants to win. But I do think that that's just something interesting to monitor. And the fact that uh, Leonard, who has been great overall, especially when you consider the injury he's coming back from and this Gasol thing, are their biggest issues speak to how well the Raptors have fared this year overall. Yeah, I actually, so tonight they were on national TV um, and I didn't realize that they were as close to Milwaukee as they are. Um, I figured Milwaukee had, had completely taken off on them and they, I I don't think the Raptors will catch them, but they're only three back in the loss column. And I thought, well, they're, you know, I, I thought they had went, gone through a longer skid than they have. I mean, they've been really, really good. I gave them an A um, just because I, I do think there's still another level that they can get to. Um, so that's why I'm withholding that. Plus, as as to your question, I was a little curious about what would happen with Marc Gasol when he went there. I, I, I kind of figured he'd eventually start. I didn't put a ton of thought into it. But now that he's kind of settled into this role, I think, well, this makes sense. I mean, they were they that front court with Siakam and Ibaka has been – really solid for them all year. So I get why they don't want to shake that up. And even though Gasol didn't come over and start, I think he has still added a dimension to this team because he can do a lot of what Valanchunas did. Um, I, I think Valanchunas is probably a, better around the basket at this point in his career. And he's, he's a little bit more of a banger than Mark Gasol is, but the passing, um, the defensive IQ that Mark Gasol has, I think it changes their bench unit quite a bit. And now, like you said, they've got Jeremy Lin, too. Um, Last year, one of the things that made Toronto so good was the bench, and it had kind of underperformed this year. And I think they did a great job of addressing it at the deadline by getting Gasol, getting Jeremy Lin. Uh, I think OG Ananobi has kind of bounced back from the tough start that he had to the season. And now suddenly they look like a really, really deep team again. Um, if if it winds up being the Raptors and the Bucks in the conference finals, uh, I I think that could be one of the most entertaining series in the entire playoffs. They certainly, and to the point that you really just made, the Raptors do seem like a playoff uh, team that will hit their stride or get better as the playoffs yeah. come on. Just because they have dealt with injuries and they're integrating new bodies, and like I said, the Gasol thing. If this is just going to be his role, you know, the twenty to twenty three minute guy that you're probably not going to close tight games with, that that's fine. I'm just I'm wondering how that sits with him. Yeah. And that's, I, I, that's fair to wonder because he got antsy in Memphis. So, I mean, it's different maybe, when you're winning, I suppose. And the fact yeah, that I was saying, maybe being in this situation, that's so good. Um, and, and I think they could, they could talk themselves into we're legitimate title contenders. So it's, it's a lot easier to kind of roll with the punches if you're in that situation. And to be able to say that when we don't think, and you who are slightly higher on them or less concerned about them than I am, that that's the, the fact that they're still here and that we think that they can get better is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, who's next? Is that me too? No, I think it's the Sixers is you. Okay. Um, I give the Sixers a B plus. You want to give their vitals? Cause I don't have them in front of me. 
Yeah, the Sixers are ninth in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency, 10th in net rating, 40-22 and 22 overall. And they're coming off a nice win last night on national television against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Rollicking victory. Watching, what's that? A rollicking victory. No one yeah. in Paul George, but whatever. No indeed, yeah. Um, as I was watching that game, I just thought, I still really think that Philly has a top I'm, – I'm not going to say top. It's hard because I love Toronto and Milwaukee. I think they're both really, really good. So I think they are, they have like a top three ceiling. Um, but the, the top of the East is just so stacked. But if Philly's at full strength and they figure out how to mesh all of the different games and personalities they have in that starting lineup, um, they just – they feel like such a, a deep – well-constructed team. Um, my question for them, I, I thought about going with the stuff that everybody's talking about. Like, how do we, how do we fully integrate Tobias Harris? How do we keep Jimmy Butler happy? Um, I, I think a lot of people have talked about that since Harris was acquired. Uh, and it's not that mine's much more original cause it's been talked about a lot as well. But my question was, is Ben Simmons shooting really going to be a problem? Um, it wasn't an issue for him last regular season, but then in the playoffs, Boston was able to game plan for it and, and basically eliminated him from that series. And there was even a moment in that game last night where it was it was a big problem. He caught the ball as time was winding down. Uh, I don't remember exactly how much time was left on the clock, but I'm pretty sure it was under a minute. And OKC was in a situation where they had to foul. And he, as soon as he caught it, he looked terrified as they were coming at him to, to foul and put him on the free throw line and he threw a terrible bounce pass. It got picked off. Um, and I just thought, I mean, you can't take him off the floor. It's not like Deandre Jordan level. Um, but if you have a player who's that important to your team that, that has that big of a weakness that can be game planned around, uh, that, that has to be a little bit of a concern. I would think for the coaching staff in the front office heading into the playoffs. Yeah. And for sure that, I guess Tobias Harris helps neutralize that to some extent because it's, yes, you can game plan around Ben Simmons, but when you have the three other weapons like Embiid, Butler, and Harris, uh, it's going to be impossible to scheme it to your advantage in in those situations. And Harris has played uh, well since coming over. His shooting slash uh, since arriving in Philly, 55.1, 42, 82.8. And he's shooting, I mean, to shoot 42% on threes on 6.3 attempts per game, it's just an eight game sample size, but still this is remember shooting used to be the knock against him like four. I don't even know how long ago it was this year, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that he's here is just incredible. The Jimmy Butler stuff to me is interesting just because yeah. you know, I, we haven't heard anything recently about him being unhappy and he's playing well for the most part uh, since the last time we, we checked in over the last quarter of the season, he is shooting 22.6% from three and not tempting many at all attempting many at all 2.6 attempts per game that might be something to watch he is however fifth on the team since the trade deadline in shot attempts per 36 minutes which is just that's just a wild situation to be in um and so i i am that is something i know it might be over talked about and i don't think he's going to gripe this season that's just something that you inherently is that an okay balance because he is going to be a free agent and you gave up value to get him you don't mm-hmm. want to lose him. So so I am watching that, but I agree with everything you said. And um, and I think they've reached the point where 
uh, we could give them. I think I, I I had them penciled in as a B plus, and I think you could even argue that they're in the A minus range. Yeah, and I you know there's still time for them to get up to like A minus A for me because like I said, I I as I was watching them last night, I just thought, wow, this team has a really high ceiling. Um, if they get like optimized Joel Embiid in the playoffs, I. <laughs> Again, I think Milwaukee and Toronto are clearly the top two, but I wouldn't put it like completely out of the realm of possibility for the Sixers to come out of the East. Just because I think there's so much talent at the top of that team. Couldn't you... I, I think we're at the point, if we want to say that Milwaukee's clearly the best team in the East, if we want to say Toronto's clearly the second best team, the pecking order almost doesn't matter. Because if you told me that even the Celtics, whether it's the Celtics, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Bucks came out of the East... It wouldn't surprise me. Not one of those selections surprises me. I think the Celtics would surprise me a little bit. Um, and I just, I, I don't think I was ever quite as high on them as other people. And now there's added elements um, to be worried about with that team that weren't around when the season started. Uh, so I guess I wouldn't be like floored if they made the finals. But I, of those teams, that would probably be the least likely one for me to pick. I would I would probably agree with you. Their ceiling just seem still seems so. I mean, we'll get to them, but yeah. That brings us to the Orlando Magic, who are who are also your team. Do you have the vitals open now? Now, yeah, now I am uh, up here. The Orlando Magic, twenty third in the NBA. Sorry, (laughs) twenty third in offense, eighth in defense, twentieth in net rating, twenty nine and thirty four. Um. At the halfway point, I gave him a C, and you gave him a C plus. Right now, I am giving the Orlando Magic a C. Um, I, I was telling you before we started recording. I, I feel like the C minus to C plus range is just kind of what I decided to give teams that have performed about as expected. Um, I, I could maybe be talked into a C plus for the magic because maybe they've outperformed expectations a little bit right now. They are um, five thirty eight gives them a 73% chance to get in the playoffs, which would be cool. Cause they, you know, they obviously haven't been there in a long time. Uh, we've talked a lot about Nikola Vucevic on the pod. Um, there's, there's interesting players there. My question for them, and hopefully I didn't miss some report that will make this look stupid, but I, I just want to know if Markel Fultz will play, even if it's like a Paul George situation from a couple years ago where he just plays the last five, ten games of the year. I just want to see if he looks any different than he did in Orlando. The, the shot is still really curious to me. Um, it is just one of the most bizarre situations I think we've seen in the last five to ten years in the NBA, which is saying something because there's a lot of bizarre situations in the NBA um <laughs> in recent history but i i am really hoping that he can figure out whatever was going on with his shoulder uh whatever might be going on with him psychologically um because when he was at washington I mean, he he was putting up ridiculous numbers his shot looked good um he looked confident people were comparing they were calling him like a shorter t-mac leading up to the draft um i i just hate to see somebody with that much promise I, I fall apart seems strong um but he but he did kind of fall apart <laughs> for the last couple seasons so i'm i'm really curious to see if orlando can help put him back together obviously they're not going to completely complete that puzzle this season uh, i'm just curious to see if he can get on the floor at all 
Yeah, I mean, I would think that's more than a fair question. I was a little bit higher on them than you. I gave them a B. I almost contemplated a B plus, uh, which would have just been rooted way too heavily in recency bias because, uh, first of all, yes, if the playoffs started today, the Magic would be in it. They are still five games under five hundred. It's very hard sometimes. We have such low expectations for the East, and it's very hard to uh, deliver these grades sometimes. That said, since... We last did this, January 25th. The Magic are second in defensive efficiency and second in net rating. I would not have guessed that. Only behind Milwaukee. That is nutso. Yeah. And I'm they, they might have found something there. I don't know if it's going to eventually be disingenuous to their future. Are they going to uh, pay Vooch too much this summer? Are they going to pay Ross? Are they going to get locked into this roster and this is going to be their ceiling? I at the moment I just don't care. It's they've been fun to watch defensively. They are disruptive. They are disciplined. They have all the hallmarks when you look at their shot profile allowed. How they really don't um, foul a ton. They they eschew going after uh, turnovers so that they they aren't giving up these a ton of these easy looks. It's just a hallmark of a Steve Clifford coach team. And I dig it at this point. If they could get into the playoffs, I, you know, they're not going to win a series, but it'd be great if Markel Fultz came back for that and they gave, like, Toronto or Milwaukee just a, a random five- or six-game toughly played series. They seem like a team that you're really going to feel playing. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I, even Jonathan Isaac, is someone that I've watched closely this season too, might be really coming along offensively. Yeah. At some point, he's shooting 32.8% from three on 4.5 attempts per game over his last 15 appearances. That's not a bad number um, on the volume. And so if if they get him to come close to a league average shooter, uh, maybe there is a pathway to using uh, Gordon and then Vucher Bamba with him long term, even though there's not really a true wing uh, among that bunch. So I gave Orlando a B. That's just their performance over the past quarter, quarter plus of the season has just been absolutely absurd. Yeah, that's that's better than I ever could have guessed. Um, so maybe I was a little bit low on them. That and brings us to your Knicks. I was going to say and one do that's shooting very well from three too recently. But um, do not do not say they are my Knicks. I will not claim ownership <laughs> to the Knicks. Thank you very much. Um, well, they are for sale apparently, right? Do you have the money for that? Uh, yeah, just in my back pocket. That's why I podcast. I'm so rich that I don't need to do anything else. Uh, the Knicks are 27th in offensive efficiency, 28th in defensive efficiency, 28th in net rating, 13 and 49 overall. Uh, I gave them, I, I still I have a grade penciled in and I, I like don't even, I want to lower it. I gave them a C minus just because Mitchell Robinson's development has come along well for them. Uh, Kevin Knox's shooting percentages have, have fallen off a cliff. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. has not been spectacular. Since coming to the Knicks, you could easily talk me into a D, but I think Mitchell Robinson is really carrying them there. He's having games where everyone talks about his ability to block these shots, even these jump shots, and keep the ball in bounds. He's now starting to piece together games where he's not fouling everyone in existence, which is which is great uh, for them. I'd like to see less of Emmanuel Moutier, uh, much less. My question for them, though, is, and I know he's injured, but is, is Frank Nielakina done? Like is I know they have the groin he has the groin injury that's fine but are they done with Frank Nielakina? You need him to be healthy to see if you have anything left in him because you don't just have this effortless path to dual maxes this summer. You can get there, but if you don't want to 
decline um, Alonzo Trier's team option and not resign him, then you essentially have to dump Frank Nielakina. And in that scenario, you either want to get something for him or you want to at least be able to dump him, which isn't a given when he's going to make like five million bucks and hasn't shown anything offensively in the NBA. My guess is that someone would still take a chance on him. And I personally, I'm against giving up on young talent. If it means getting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, obviously you do it. I'm not an idiot there. But are, are, like we need to see, are, is he still part of this future? Can he still be part of this future? Is he worth keeping around if you do go after dual maxes? And if you're really trying to groom an Anthony Davis trade package, the other question would be, can Dennis Smith Jr. or Kevin Knox play well enough to be considered a cornerstone or even fringe cornerstone prospect just because there's an 86% chance that the Knicks are not going to draft Zion Williamson. And when you're building a package around whether it's RJ Barrett, John Rant, or Cam Reddish, one of those type guys, you lose a lot of value there and you're going to need to recoup some of that elsewhere. Do you have the players on the roster to do that? If, If again, if you're trying to get in the Anthony Davis trade hunt, my guess would be no, if you don't have Zion, but maybe Kevin Knox, slash Dennis Smith Jr. show you something for the stretch run of the year. My my bigger interest, though, with this team is once Frank Nielakina gets healthy, assuming he gets healthy, it, it, is he a part of this team's future in, in any capacity? Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Kevin Knox would have to do a ton between now and the end of the year to get up to, like, uh, Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram's trade value type of level. Um Unless the Knicks get Zion, I, I, it's just going to be really hard for them to compete with some of the other offers out there. For Anthony Davis, it would be nice to see if Frank Nilokina could be a part of that package, like you were saying. Oh, I don't uh, even think it's that. It's at this point, can you even dump him slash any- get anything for him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's an interesting question. One that's kind of crept up on Twitter the last week or so um, that I'm interested to hear what you think on it. And to me, my, my answer is pretty easy on this. If you had to pick one long-term, Mitchell Robinson or Kevin Knox? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I, at this point, it's easy to say Mitchell Robinson. Uh, Kevin Knox is more of the archetype of player that you're searching for, but I don't think he's ever, as of now, just looking at him and he hasn't progressed as a passer. uh, You and I both tend to throw efficiency out the window for rookies for the most part, so we can give him that. Uh, at the same time, it does seem like Mitchell Robinson is going to own his wheelhouse more so than Kevin Knox ever will. Yeah. Um, what he's what he's shown on defense um, and is uh, just sort of a catch and dunk everything around the rim type of guy, uh, especially the last few weeks, I, I, I just think his ceiling is really, really high. And yes, Kevin Knox kind of fits the mold of what you want out of a player going forward in the NBA. But I still think there's a lot of big guys who have found a way to survive this modern era by doing the things that Mitchell Robinson already does really, really well. Um, And so as he learns NBA defense a little bit more, figures out more and more how to stay out of foul trouble, as you mentioned already, um, I think he's going to be a big, big asset going forward. I, I, I just think they hit a home run. In the second round with that pick. Um, I gave the Knicks a C just because this is another team that I don't think performed much better or worse uh, than I could have expected. They got knocked by a lot of people for the trade. 
the Chris Porzingis trade. Um, I understand the concerns with that. Uh, you gave up this guy who was, you know, the team drafted him. They have had very few homegrown stars uh, basically since Patrick Ewing. I think somebody tweeted out uh, around the time of that trade that the only rookie they drafted that they signed to a second contract in the last like 20 years was Charlie Ward or something like that. Um, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. Hopefully I didn't misquote that, but it's been a long time. Um, so I understood the frustration. I mean, he's, he was really good for them when he was healthy, but if they've got some sort of backroom behind the scenes, uh, I won't even say deal. Like if they have a really good idea that one or two of those guys are coming, even if it's just Kevin Durant, I understand why they did it. Um, if you, if you can open up enough cap space for two max guys and you get it, everybody's going to look back on that trade and think, wow, that was, that was a no brainer. But I mean, it's not a, it's not an automatic thing, obviously. So if they do with, it's going to look terrible, but I understood what they were doing. Um, I kind of like the trade for both sides still. And as far as what they've done on the court, I, I just don't see how anybody could have expected anything different from them this season. Yeah, and the people who are getting mad that they were winning random games need to remember that the bottom three teams are going to get the same lottery odds. And the Knicks yep. are, I would not say, in danger of seeding their uh, four-game lead to the Chicago Bulls, who are the fourth-worst team. in the And even, even if you don't have one of the three worst records, like your chances aren't that much worse. If you're the fourth-worst record, you drop from 14% to 12.5% chance to get the one the number one pick if you drop to the fifth worst record you still have a ten and a half percent chance to get the number one pick um leveling out the odds for the pick was i mean it's when they first announced it i thought well that's not that big of a change but the more every time i look at it i'm like wow there's six or seven teams that have a pretty good chance to get the number one pick so it's it's uh maybe it will help the tanking thing a little bit because you know, it, when this is all said and done, it wouldn't be like a huge uh, beat the odds situation if the New Orleans Pelicans got Zion Williams. I'm Zion Williamson. So it's just uh, it's crazy what those those uh, new odds have done. Also, the Knicks draft pick thing. I guess it's I, I've actually seen the Charlie Ward note as well, but it must be long term deal because they re-signed David Lee as a restricted free agent to a one year contract before that whole LeBron that. stuff. So, but then he was eventually. Um, signed and traded to the Warriors. So I don't, I don't it must have been a long-term contract or something. Uh, just random. I mean, the Knicks, they suck. So that's still, <laughs> the point stands. Um, we are on to the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that does not suck. The Bucks are second in offensive efficiency, first in defensive efficiency, first in net rating, 47 and 14 overall. Um, I gave them an A. I probably could have went as far as an A plus, but they're 11th in offensive efficiency um, since we last did this. And my question for them is, well, I have two. One is Giannis's three point shooting for real, which is actually just a happy question. Uh, he's 37.5% since we recorded our halfway poll grades from beyond the arc on more than three attempts per game. And he's over 35% from deep over his last 25 games. That's just, again, we've said it. If, if Giannis starts hitting if it's if it's thirty four percent from three on two and a half three and a half attempts per game, it's over. It's it's over. Yeah. Can but the other thing, my actual question for them is: Can we get rid of the uh, George Hill, DJ Wilson lineups? I'm just or can we stop? 
can we stop swapping in Sterling Brown for Malcolm Brogdon and pretending that it works? It it doesn't. Uh, it just it doesn't. The offense is not is not good. Uh, the Bucks over the past uh, since we recorded our halfway grades, they are minus fifteen when Wilson Hill and Sterling Brown share the floor with an eighty four point three offensive rating. That needs to stop. And the starting lineup, it's not the starting lineup anymore. But when you sub in. Sterling Brown for Malcolm Brogdon, the whole thing just falls apart. And that's a little harder to explain. Um, the Wilson Hill Brown stuff is not. There's just not people fancy Hill a shot creator. And if you're only going to play him with Chris Middleton and then out of Tony Snell, like, it's just not going to work. So maybe that's more of a plea than a question, but I'm asking if we politely if the Bucks could could cease fielding those combinations as heavily as, as they have been. I've uh, I've been wondering for a few weeks just what happened to George Hill when he went to Milwaukee. I liked that pickup um, when they made it. He seemed like a just a great guy to play next to Giannis for a lot of the reasons I thought he was a good fit next to LeBron. He's a point guard who doesn't have to command the ball. He can just sort of spot up and hit threes. But as a as a member of the Bucks, um, in 34 games, he's shooting 27.9 percent from three, which is it just crazy to me that's higher than Uh, 27.8 though yeah good call um he shot 38 percent from three for his career and uh 40 40.8 percent over the three seasons before this one um if he rediscovers his shot he's he's still a player that i think could really help them and if if their bench in the playoffs so like everybody you know as we know shortens their rotations in the playoffs if their eight-man rotation is the starters plus George Hill, Nikola Mirotic, and Ersan Ilyasova off the bench, um, and George Hill is like the George Hill of last year or two years ago, um, that's that's a really, really tough five-man rotation. So, Or eight-man rotation, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm with you on lineups generally. I guess maybe Coach Bud thinks, well, we're so far up and – um, maybe we can experiment. Maybe we can see which guys we want to trust going into the playoffs. Uh, that would be my only possible <laughs> guess for what's put Miritich going- at the five. That's the that's the experiment that that I would want to see more of. Has not been good in the few possessions that they've played it, but try stuff like that. Um, and maybe they will because they are. I think both Hill and Brown are injured right now. I should double check that, but Hill is out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Brown's dealing with some wrist stuff too. So maybe that's going to force them to try different things. So yeah, I'm, that, that question I think is totally valid, but at this point in the season, um, we, we probably have to nitpick to come up with issues that the bucks have. I mean, they, well, I think that was, been, yeah, for sure. They've been a juggernaut all season and I'm not terribly worried about, anything going on with them right now. I don't know if I said it, but I gave them an A plus. I I just think they've been lights out um, this season, notwithstanding being a little bit worse over the last few weeks or however long it's been since we last did this routine uh, or every podcast. I have, we have to ask the question, Giannis still the MVP pick. Um, He is for me. James Harden just scored 58 points and had 10 assists last night. I mean, he's not going away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the other thing too is Zach Lowe pointed this out on a recent podcast is I wonder if he gets any 
sort of a boost in his MVP stock for doing this in the West and doing it when when Chris Paul and Clint Capella were out for so long. Like yeah. there are some narrative points that go in James Harden's favor, um, but I it it really is like a one A one B situation to me. I wouldn't like I wouldn't be terribly upset if James Harden wins another MVP award, but right now I think I'm probably still taking Giannis. I'm taking Giannis too, and again, if his three point shooting holds, I don't know how you pick against him. Yeah. We are up to the Miami Heat. They are 24th in offensive efficiency, 9th in defensive efficiency, 20th in net rating, 27 and 34 overall. I gave them a C minus down from I gave them a C last time. I'm just not I'm not vibing this team. I don't yeah. does the Goran Dragic coming off the bench thing is that a permanent solution? Uh, how much better does it make them? My question for them really is, and I was actually slightly concerned about how uh, Justice Winslow would fare alongside Dragic when he came back, because in theory, it, it gives him a little bit less influence over the offense, but the Heat have actually been destroying opponents when those two share the floor uh, in the four games that Goran Dragic has played. Obviously, a small sample size there, but that might just be something to lean into. Uh, my question for them, though, is can they play better in the fourth quarter ever? Uh, they are 26th in four, fourth quarter net rating this season, 29th since we recorded our halfway mark grades. Uh, they're during that time they're also 22nd in crunch time net rating. There there is too much Dwayne Wade in the fourth quarter. I love Dwayne Wade. He had the game winner against the Warriors the other other night. He's hit some very big shots. We can stop pretending that the Heat need to lean on Dwayne Wade or play him for eight of the 12 minutes every fourth quarter. And if you're going to give him so many minutes when it matters, uh, uh, Deion Waiters' minutes are going to have to go bye-bye just in general throughout <laughs> the game. So it's uh, it's just something if they want to make the playoffs, and Pat Riley says they do, he also says that they're going to chase two max free agents in 2020, which is both a summer when they will not have two max contracts worth of space and also a summer uh, when there won't be that many superstar free agents to choose from. So but still, if they want to make the playoffs, they're they're going to have to make, I think, a ton of adjustments to close games. And maybe Dragic, as he comes back, continues to help them and, and just deepens their rotation and makes it easier uh, to pull out some of these contests or at least not blow leads like they did the other night. Still, it's something needs to give for them in the fourth quarter. And I would, my guess is that less of Dwayne Wade might actually help them out. You're probably right there. Um, he He is loving this retirement tour yeah, good for him <laughs> he deserves it yeah he's earned it yeah for sure um i think this is pretty much what all the skeptics that year that they signed uh a bunch of long-term deals were worried about I, I think they have become exactly what people um thought was was sort of the end game uh, when they signed they signed Dion waiters that year uh james johnson um it was it was right after they had that really good closing kick and they locked themselves into this roster. And I was this is one that I was actually probably wrong on. I just thought, you know, a few of these guys are still young. I think they'll probably get better. Um and some of the young guys have gotten better. Like Josh Richardson is better now. He's he's a he's the leading scorer. He's he's just had a really solid season. But the overall the sum of all these parts has led to a twenty seven and thirty four team. Um 
I, I thought they'd at least be like a lock to make the playoffs over the course of, you know, this era of Miami Heat basketball. But they've been lapped by a few teams in the Eastern Conference. They've just sort of been treading water while other teams have gotten better. And I guess that's probably what we should have expected um, when they signed those deals. I, I gave them a C minus just because uh, I still think they should be at least around 500. Um they, they've dealt with some injuries here and there as well, but they're just, uh, they, they've just sort of locked themselves into mediocrity and now, now they kind of have to wait it out until these, all these long-term deals expire. Yeah, that's the, I mean, they might be able to do things for 2020 just because they'll have James Johnson and Olenek both have player options. I assume they'll pick them up, but maybe you can, when they're on expiring deals, it might be easier to get rid of them. That's not the summer for them to, there, there could just be a repeat of what they did in 2016 and 2017 where they gave out contracts to the wrong players. If, if that's the summer that they're eyeing. Yeah. Indiana Pacers. That is also me. Exciting. <laughs> um, the Pacers are 15th in offensive efficiency, third in defensive efficiency, fifth in net rating, 41 and 22 overall. I gave them an A. They are 10-7 and seven since Victor Oladipo's injury, and they still have the third seed in the Eastern Conference. Yep. That is just, even if Victor Oladipo was healthy, the fact that they would be in the third seed in the East is pretty spectacular. My question for them is pretty straightforward at this point, and it's, it's probably a cliche. Can they hold on to the third yeah. seed? And the big win for them um, over the Minnesota Timberwolves on Thursday night, but they're still only a half game up on Philly. And their their schedule is hard to close the season. They have the hardest schedule remaining in the East and the third hardest schedule in the league. So wow. that's going to be hard for them to protect that lead, especially as Joel Embiid gets healthy for Philly. Still, if they're able to get the three seed, there's a chance they win the playoff series without Victor Oladipo. I wouldn't <laughs> want to face the Nets uh, in a best of seven set at the same time. I'm not going to pretend that the Nets are some sleeping Goliath, and they're not even guaranteed to have the sixth seed anymore. They've they've kind of slipped off. Slash Detroit has come on, and so if you can match up with Detroit or Brooklyn, or uh, I think we could maybe throw Orlando slash Charlotte in there, even though they're three games back of six. That's a pretty good position to be in. And then you also what you do is you force either the Sixers or the Celtics in that scenario to have to go through all three. Uh, of the Eastern Conference's best teams, probably to to get into the NBA Finals, which is just something else that would be interesting to watch as well. And my my, I guess if we want to go with an accessory question, um, can Corey Joseph start hitting threes again, or at all? <laughs> that would be nice. Um, I, I gave them an A as well. The ten and seven uh, since Oladipo went out is just huge to me. At the time that injury happened, I just thought, well, shucks. I mean, they they were. <laughs> really playing well and now they're just going to kind of fall off because he seemed he seemed like the sort of linchpin that was holding everything together um and they've they've held together without him it's it they've been really really good especially defensively um i now they've got a as you laid out their situation i just think wow they've got to really hope they can hold on to that number three seed because if they fall to four and have to play philly or uh boston Without Victor Oladipo, it could all come crashing down pretty quick. But I've, you know, I've been underestimating them for a couple of weeks now. So maybe they'll continue to surprise. Maybe they'll hold on to number three. 
Um, there, there's certainly talent on the team beyond Victor Oladipo. Miles Turner has been great defensively. He's, he's maybe not getting enough love as a defensive player of the year candidate. Um, Wesley Matthews seems to fit pretty well. Uh, Demonis Sabonis has been excellent off the bench for them. He probably won't win six man of the year because that's whoever leads the league in points off the bench. That's, you know, historically been whoever wins it. Um, but he's been awesome in that role and, and they just keep <laughs> rolling along. I, I still feel like, you know, there's a nagging feeling in the back of my head that yes, this is going to fall off, uh, at some point, but they just keep chugging along. So I, I have to give them an A. I think they have, I thought they were outperforming expectations even before Oladipo got hurt. So now I certainly feel that they're doing that. And the 10 and seven mark for them was including the game in which he went down against the Raptors just because it was so early. And yeah, it's- couple minutes over that span by the way Bojan Bogdanovic who's been basically bonkers all year has been even more bonkers than that last 17 games for him 21.3 points on 51.5 percent shooting 40.9 percent from beyond the arc 80.6 percent from the foul line he's just I'm fascinated by his free agency and I've said this before especially because he's not a terrible defender it's just someone who can hold his own and in, I would say, a fair amount of one-on-one situations. And when you kind of remove that concern from the equation, Indiana's even gotten some pretty good minutes from him at the four, even though they don't go to it too much. I'm just wondering what he's going to get paid this year. He's going to be an interesting one because um, there's a lot of cap space out there. And he's he's you know not in that top tier. But even after the top tier is gone, there's going to be cap space. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what uh, he gets paid. That brings us to the Pistons, who were also mine again. Yeah. Offensive efficiency there. Stretch. (laughs) What's that? I'm going to rally us down the stretch. I'm hoping. I'm waiting for it. The Pistons are 22nd in offensive efficiency, 10th in defensive efficiency, 22nd in net rating, 29 and 31 overall. Again, I need to – they're probably right where we would have expected them to be for the season. I'm giving them a B-plus anyway. Um, instead of a B or B minus or something in that range, just because their defense has been way better than I ever thought it would be. I know opponents have not shot a high clip against them on wide open threes, but Andre Drummond over the past, like let's say like three to five weeks, has just gotten a lot better defensively. It seems like he seems more active. Uh, I've seen a sector of Pistons Twitter argue he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. I will push back strongly against that. And it's not just because of the on-off court splits. It's that he's just he has not been a consistent presence um, around the rim or even his activity outside the paint, which is generally good and has been really good lately. He's not the most consistent player. Uh, Reggie Jackson has come on for them in a, in a big way. And that's basically my question for them is, can he hold his current performance? Because he becomes this big swing piece for them. Not to the point where I would say, oh, they're going to win a playoff series. But if you have Blake Griffin and, and Andre Drummond playing well, both basically at the peak of their careers, and you get this version of Reggie Jackson, that's that's a pretty big deal. And he is, um, sh- over his past 26 games, so since January 1st, he's averaging 15.5 points, 4.3 assists, and shooting 40.3% from deep, 91.2% from the foul line, and 44.8% overall. Uh, That's going to be huge for them if he can continue. He's had some up-and-down games lately, but if he can continue even close to on that track, 
it weaponizes their offense in a way that they've desperately needed for some time. And what will also be big for them, and is also kind of a question, will Wayne Ellington be the player that they picked up? He shot well from three over his past two games, but not uh, not overall since coming there. And when you swap him out uh, for Reggie, when you swap him in for Reggie Bullock, Bullock, excuse me, it, the offensive returns have not been worth the defensive trade-off that they're giving up there. And so would it be time to look at um, some lineup combination changes uh, should he not hit piece together a long stretch of, of hitting threes? Right now, though, I think if you had to pick whether or not they would make the playoffs, I think you would say that they're just comfortably in and that it's going to be between the Magic and the Hornets for that eighth spot. Yeah, um, 538 has them as 85% shot. I would at, not have guessed that high. Wow. Getting into the playoffs. Um, they're projected. The interesting thing about the East is they're projected to finish sixth with a record of 40 and 42. Um, so <laughs> right now the sixth place team in the East is, is uh, on track to be under 500. The top of the East is great, but it, it really falls off after those top four or five teams. Um, Reggie Jackson is a guy. I, I just kind of thought he was done. Um, I don't know if it was last season or two seasons ago when I was I just was ready to give up on him. But he, like you said, he's been really good lately. And if you limit that recent stretch even a little bit more, just to, down to his last 14 games, he's averaging 19 points, uh, 5.3 assists, shooting 47.9% from the field, 43.6% from three. Like you said, if, if they have this guy consistently, uh, plus Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, that, that's potentially a tough out. Especially if they rise as high as sixth and Indiana holds on to three, oh, wow. uh, that's that's a series that Detroit could win uh, and move on to the second round. Now they'd obviously have a ton of problems with Toronto um, in the second round, uh, but for them to to advance to the second round would be that would be quite an accomplishment for this team. I feel like um, Blake Griffin to me has quietly had a really really strong season. I think he's been a top twenty to twenty five player this year and it's really cool to see him stay healthy and stay on the floor. He's another guy that was, oh, geez, he was starting. man. <laughs> yeah, I'm knocking on wood. Uh, <laughs> a guy that I was starting to think, is he just going to be plagued by injuries for the rest of his career? But it's, it's been really cool to see him stay on the floor. I've, I've always loved his point forward game. I'm, I'm just a sucker for big guys. You can pass as you know. Um, and people talked about his passing a lot for a few years there. Um, but in a historical context, I don't think people understand quite, um, how rare his passing is. If you, if you stack it up against big guys across history, I mean, he's, he's very unique for a player with his sort of, um, he has this real awkward banging post game, but he can also be just a great passer and like pick and roll player. So he's got an interesting skill set That's fun for me to watch. If they get if they continue to get this out of Reggie Jackson, they're they're an interesting team heading into the first round. Agree with you on all fronts. And that brings us to your time to shine. Is this me? Oh yeah. boy. Cavs are twenty fifth in offense, thirtieth in defense, twenty ninth in net rating, fifteen and forty seven. Um, I gave them a C after giving them an incomplete <laughs> the first quarter in the half grades. Cause I just kept waiting to see if they would trade Kevin love, 
see what kind of value they got back for that. They obviously did not do that. And he's he's been pretty good. Um, he came back from injury. I looked at his stats last night, but they, they will be updated after what he did last night. His percentages aren't great, um, but he's just playing 26 minutes a game, and he's averaging 19 and 11. Um, and his effective field goal percentage is almost 50. So even though he's shooting 39% from the field, the fact that he's shooting – um, 39% from three as well really helps out his effective field goal percentage. His per 36 numbers are 26 points and 15 rebounds and almost three assists. Um, so my, my question for them, um, and his true shooting percentage is almost 60. He's at 57.2. So the shooting percentages aren't an issue really. He's in, he's having a hell of a stretch, which is, uh, over the last six games, uh, that he's appeared in. He's averaging 18.3 points in 21.1 minutes while slashing 44.9, 44.7, 96.9 at the foul line. My question for them, and it's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's very Kevin Love related. Um, did I say my grade for them? I gave them a C- minus um, because I, I think um, that they have performed about as expected, but I still wanted them to trade Kevin Love, so I'm docking them a little bit. But... <laughs> They might make me look stupid because right now, because of the stretch that you just named and the numbers that we've gone over, um, he might be increasing his trade value right now. And maybe they get a better package for him this summer or halfway through next season. So um, count that as a tentative C minus. My question was how much more trade value can they sort of whip up for Kevin Love over the course of the season? And they, they may want to keep him long term. I don't I don't know if that's the case. I still think they should trade him, obviously. I, I think that's probably the smart way to go. Um but if he continues to play like this, even if they're losing games, there there should be a lot of teams around the league who think he can still help us. I mean, we've talked about him potentially going to Utah several times. Um and <laughs> this version of Kevin Love is very helpful to a team like Utah. So if he keeps playing like this, his trade value is going to keep going up, and maybe my C minus will look kind of stupid. My grade for them is going to shock you. That's why I didn't write it down. B minus for the Cavaliers. Oh wow! The Cavaliers are fun now, they're, and they're like they're sort of monitoring Kevin Love's minutes, but it's not so flagrant that you know that they're tanking, even though that they actually are tanking. And you can watch them and get these minutes from Kevin Love, and it's not really hurting your chances. At the number one pick, I, I still don't think that they're going to see ground to the Chicago Bulls. And if and if it gets to that point, yeah, then you can shut them down. But they're also getting, uh, lately, they're getting really good minutes from Jetty Osman. Uh, you've seen, excuse me, uh, Colin Sexton continues to shoot better from three, even though his shooting percentages are wonky overall than I ever thought that he would. David Nwaba went healthy as a defensive revelation for this team. Uh, he's also shooting 50% from downtown over his last 10 games. They're getting they're getting production from Marquise Chris. That's that's gotta be worth at least half a grade up. Yeah, good so, good point. So it's just I don't I don't think their young core is one of the most promising in the league, and I actually wrote about that um a week or so back. But and I the Kevin Love stuff, I, I'm not gonna grade them first. I do think they should have moved him and that they probably never should have extended him. I can't grade them uh down in advance for not moving Kevin Love, which they still most definitely need to do, uh, and I'm not sure that they will. But th- there is some promise here, and I don't. It, again, if Sexton's going to shoot better, then 
uh, I would have thought. And if Jetty Osman, you know, maybe he's not going to be the player that's averaging basically 20 points while slashing, while shooting 56.2% from the floor over his past 10 games, that there's something there. So uh, Larry Nance Jr. still like him, and he's been shooting pretty well from three on actual volume lately. So this team has, has pleasantly surprised me. Uh, a question for them to ask that I won't go into detail. They re- I don't want to see David Nwaba leave, but he might be someone that gets not like two syllable put aid in free agency, but just because of what he can do on defense, he's six, four and defends like he's six, nine. Uh, he's going to be, if he can even shoot kind of sort of little bit. Okay. From three, he's going to be one of those under the radar coveted commodities. Did you say two syllable paid? Yeah. Put aid. He's not going to be one of those guys, but I've heard that before. I like it. Um, all right, so we move on to the Chicago Bulls. Your time to shine again. 29th in offense, 23rd in defense, 26th in net rating, and 17 and 45 overall. Um, I gave them a C, and that's <laughs> that's actually actually an improvement. I had them at a D at the first quarter and a D plus at the halfway mark. Um, I think just because this is – I'm repeating myself now, but this is another team that we probably shouldn't have expected a whole lot more out of this season. Um, my question for them is which of these pieces really fit um, going forward? Like what's what's your core? I feel like uh, Laurie Markkinen's the no-brainer. He's He's been on a tear lately as well, speaking of guys who've been playing great recently. Um, Zach Levine's under contract for a little bit longer. Otto Porter, they obviously just acquired, and he's got a couple years left on his deal. But after that, there's a lot of young guys that it's like, um, which ones fit next to the guys that we've already got here? Uh, does Chris Dunn fit? Um, Antonio Blakeney, I don't think does. I mean, there's just a lot of interesting names. Um, and they're not going to be able to get too many answers because Wendell Carter Jr. is probably done for the year. Yeah, and that was so. When I was trying to think of a question for them, I looked up Wendell Carter. I thought is he going to come back this season? And I, I read a report that said he's most likely done for the year. And, and it was at the time of the injury. I don't think there's really been an update since then. So it's probably safe to assume that he's done. Um, so yeah, they, it's just kind of what exactly are we going to be moving forward? We have a couple of nice pieces. Um, do we want to just pick two and build around them? Like, is it Laurie Markkinen and? Wendell Carter, um, but then it's hard to answer that question because, like you said, he's he's out for a while. Is it Markkinen and Levine? Um, is is Porter part of the equation for the real long term future? Um, and I don't I don't know how well they can answer that question over the next month or you know month and a half, whatever's left in the regular season. Um, but it's just sort of let's let's kind of figure out what our identity is, which guys are are truly our core, um, and what do we need to build around them going forward? I think the answer for them on the core front is Otto Porter, Chandler Hutchinson, and Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Markkinen. And I realize that I've left off Zach Levine in that scenario. I gave them a, a C minus, and this is after I gave them an F because of the whole boiling stuff last time. I've just they've done some solid stuff. I don't know if they've done, but the players are doing some solid stuff. The Otto Porter trade was good. They weren't going to get. Um, a star on the free agency market, and they can still get to a good amount of cap space this summer anyway, uh, up to $20 million, maybe even a little bit more, depending on what they do with their books. 
And now you at least know where that money's going, and Porter only has two years left on his deal. There's that light at the end of the tunnel. It's not going out and giving another free agent three or four years this summer. And I really like that trade. He's played well for them. Uh, Before Hutchinson went down, he was playing a ton of minutes, which I liked. What I really want to see them lean into, and that they have more so than I thought, and probably because Wendell Carter Jr. has been out, um, put Markin and Porter as your as your four, five four combination. Uh, they've played ninety four possessions together in that scenario. The Bulls are a plus eleven point two points per hundred possessions in that span, with an offensive rating of one hundred and twenty nine point eight. The defense is not good, but try and lean into it if you don't have Wendell Carter Jr. Um, right now and that's just something i want to see a, a ton from them from because you know even Otto porter at the fourth wendell carter jr at the five i think that's a model that could eventually really help them create some mismatches long term i do however think that maybe i should give them a, a d again or a d plus just because they didn't buy out robin lopez which which seems pretty petty as of this recording anyway and it'd be really funny if they buy him out on march 2nd and then he can't <laughs> join the playoff team yeah um Speaking of March 2nd, when when are the Lakers going to sign Melo? Uh, when they're back in the playoff picture, so they probably won't be signing Melo. Melo's got to get him back in the playoff picture. <laughs> that brings us to the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets, not the Charnet, but I, they are also your team. 12th in offense, 21st in defense, 16th in net rating. They're 28 and 33. Um, I gave them a C. I, I'm getting really repetitive now, but this is another team that I just don't think has looked a whole lot different than we could have expected. Um, my question for them, and we're getting into kind of rapid fire mode here, unfortunately. Um, who's who is Charlotte's second best player? Let's not do uh, this. Skip to the next team. <laughs> that was that was a question that came up on a recent uh, episode of the Low Post. Kemba Walker is shouldering a huge load for them, and and. Yeah, on a night-to-night basis, it can be Cody Zeller. Maybe it's Jeremy Lamb one night. Maybe Miles Bridges will randomly have a night where he's the second-best player. Um, if if they're going to – this is another team that could probably talk themselves into thinking we can climb up to sixth and maybe have a shot at winning a first-round series if Indiana stays in third. Um, but if they're going to do that, that somebody else has got to step up and become a clear number two. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, I have the same grade for them as you do, it's just, they're basically what we expected, but you would really like to see just someone help Kemba Walker out in crunch time a little bit. And they really just haven't gotten to that point. Who would you say is their second best player? Um, on balance, I'd probably go with Cody Zeller. Jeremy Lamb was really good to start the year. It seems like he's cooled off a little bit lately and now they, they don't even start him anymore. So he's, he's number two for me. Yeah, I think it's probably there. I think I'm probably there as well. I would really be interested to see just can, can they get Nicholas Batum to shoot more because he's been shooting well lately, uh, slashing 45.6, 38, 85.7. What if you just told him, hey, you need to take more than nine or 10 shots a game? Like you need to jack up 15. Just something his, to consider. His usage is still 13.3. The only one with less is Bismack Biamba. It's impressively <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it's crazy. After them, we are on to the Brooklyn Nets. They are 17th in offense, 18th in defense, 17th in net rating, 32 and 31 overall. I gave them a B plus. Uh, was a little bit higher on them last time. 
but I don't think anyone at this point in the season expected them to be over 500, even if they were contending for one of the East playoff seeds as they are. My question for them is, do they need to shake up the starting lineup? And I'm not just saying this because uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is, is returning from uh, his thumb injury and he wasn't starting anyway. Uh, that lineup has just been, their, their starting five has been getting destroyed since uh, we recorded our, uh, excuse me, uh, halfway point grades. And the combination of Jared Allen and D'Angelo Russell has not worked well for them. They're a minus 13.2 points per 100 possessions when those two share the floor over this span. So I, I don't know what what the solution necessarily is, but maybe it's not having Travion Graham in there. And uh, maybe it's not, I don't think you should take out Levert, who they had Kurus in there for a little bit. It's just, I feel like you need... Some, some some change needs to be made. And if it's not going to be Russell, and it probably shouldn't be Levert just because of what he means to your future, let's look at moving Travion Graham out of there. And I really like Travion Graham. I'm not even sure losing his defense when you have Russell on the floor uh, might might actually have a negative impact, but it might be time to try something just a little bit fresher. And I'm not necessarily sure what that is, but given how bad the starting five has been over the past few weeks, uh, I would think it's certainly worth a shot. And you know what? The defensive effort they get out of, of everybody, it might not really matter at this point. Uh, they seem like they have more room for improvement on offense than they do on defense, even though they are they rank 17th on offense and 18th on defense. It's just so close that I don't think any one player, if you went, you know, crab for Graham, I don't think that you're just going to get that your defense is going to fall apart, apart because of the effort level that Brooklyn tends to play with. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I also gave them a B plus, slightly down from an A minus. But like you said, I think I think they're probably in a better situation than anyone could have guessed at this point in the season um, before the season started. So they get decent marks. I, I'm really curious to see what they're going to look like now that they'll finally have D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Karis LeVert all healthy for the first time in quite a while. See if they can play those three together. See how that looks. Um, there, there's there's still some interesting things to find out about this team over the last couple months. It'll be really cool to see them back in the playoffs. Even though the drought wasn't super long, they were just in the playoffs maybe four or five years ago. Um, for them to to bounce back that quickly after that terrible trade that they made, I, I think is really impressive. And um, everybody's given a lot of kudos to Sean Marks, but he's he certainly deserves them. I like when NBA Twitter or a section of NBA Twitter goes off for like a few seconds when they realize that Joe Harris can do more than shoot. That's yeah. my favorite thing of mine. We, we, we've been uh, citing Joe Harris's driving numbers for like two full when, years. Yeah, when he cuts too, it's just really – and even when he – like because he can – he's not a great defender, but he can defend, and it's just – I like yeah. it. I just – I dig he, those types of reactions. Yeah. Everybody assumes that the six eight white guy who shoots a high percentage from threes is that's, – that's literally all he does, but that's not the case with him. He's a better shooter uh, than, than both Curry brothers. That's really all that matters. Yeah. Boston Celtics, 10th in offense, 5th in defense, 4th in net rating, 35 and 23. Um, those, those are solid numbers. Not, not solid, really good. <laughs> and yet, I have given them a C, and I don't think a lot of people will be shocked by that. Um, the drama surrounding this team for the last few weeks, maybe even a month now, um, 
it, it's reached kind of ridiculous, almost comical levels. I, I, after every Celtics loss, I'm just like on pins and needles waiting for the stupid Kyrie Irving quote. Um, after the last game, it was that whole thing where somebody asked him, Marcus Smart says you guys aren't playing together. Well, that's Marcus's opinion. And I don't, I don't know what else he's supposed to say, but he just seems so snippy and, and just. <laughs> There's, and I don't want to interject here, but did you see what Clay Thompson said uh, after the loss to the Magic? They, they asked him how he felt about the team and if he was worried about the team. And he was just like, no, I don't worry about this team. That's how, that's how you actually make something a non-story. There should be a, Clay Thompson should give a class on how to deal with the media. <laughs> Clay Thompson should come on Hardwood Knox and become our best friend because he seems yeah. like a legitimately, like just a very chill <laughs> yeah, person. He, but that's, like he could, you're right. He could teach a class and like, you, you can shut shit down by literally answering it in that way. He was just like, no, yeah. like Kyrie Irving could have been like, I'm not answering it or, Oh, that's Marcus's opinion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Just the tone could have made a difference. Um, and as we've said, every time we do episodes like this, our, our grades are relative to expectations. And for a team that a lot of people thought was going to win 60 games, be a legitimate title contender for them to have this sort of internal, these sort of internal issues. Uh, and to, to now be, you know, it's a question if they even get to 50 wins, uh, I, I think a C is probably a fair grade for them. Did I say my question? My question for them is how can they start having fun again? As like weird and cliche. Maybe as that by sounds. not going two and ten on the road against opponents above five hundred. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm, I I gave them a C too. I contemplated a B minus just because their vitals are so good. And you look at this team and it's just like they have some really good games. And if Marcus Smart, his three point shooting has cooled off, but when you look at what you've gotten from him and Marcus Morris, who's also cooled off, but that's also part of the problem here. When you look at since we recorded the halfway point grades, uh, Kyrie Irving is shooting 42.9% from three. Jason Tatum shooting 38.1%. Fantabulous. Spectaculario. Horford, 31.3%. Marcus Smart, 32.9%. Good for him, not great overall, especially when he's taking more than five a game. Marcus Morris is at 27.9%. Jalen Brown's at 31.6%. Gordon Hayward has perked up a bit. Terry Rozier has not. Uh, His... We've always thought he's been a little bit overrated, but this is for people who thought that he might really get paid this summer. Uh, it's been a, a letdown for him. So I don't know if their depth is actually betraying them. It seems like that could certainly be the case. People who think they're going to get it together by the playoffs, though, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out of the East, but it's going to be in spite of all this. We're three quarters of the way through the season now. This This stuff isn't just going away this year it just it isn't happening and I think you're right to give them or both right I guess then in that respect to give them a C because there had to be a better way to to manage all of this and it's I'm not saying that it's easy to say oh look you're not playing or you need to play this role but for a team to just come apart after they came together last year amid all these injuries it's it is definitely alarming yeah there there are certainly um big questions for them to answer between now in the postseason, at this point, like we said at the, at the top of this episode, um, of the four or five real good teams in the East, this is the one that would surprise me the most to see get all the way to the finals. Maybe they'll figure something out between now and the the playoffs, but that it, there's some very real chemistry issues there. They can. It's the problem for them is at this point they they almost need Indiana to drop down. Yeah, to that, to that uh, four seed. Maybe they'll get their confidence in a series like that in the first round. 
or, or they do still in some way seem to have Philly's number a little bit. So maybe that, maybe that would be a good first. Yeah, round Sal series. Horford is Joel Embiid's dad. Confirmed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Atlanta Hawks, last team, twenty <clears> sixth <throat> in offense, twenty seventh in defense, twenty seventh in net rating, twenty one and forty one. Uh, I gave them a B, and they they have gradually improved for me throughout the season. First quarter, I gave them a C. Halfway, I gave them a C plus. Now I give them a B. Um, Trey Young has been really, really good lately. I think John Collins has been great all season long. Um, Kevin Herter is quietly averaging almost 10 points a game and shooting almost 40% from three. I think that's a really interesting um, – I'll, I'll say big three, <laughs> even though that might be stretching that definition a little bit. Um, it's an interesting young core going forward, and I, I really don't think they have a ton of issues with themselves – for the rest of the season. They they seem like a team that plays um, the right way. They shoot a ton of threes. They move the ball. The pick and roll with Young and Collins is really good. Um, It's a team that's on the rise. It's going to be really fun to watch over the next couple seasons. So my question for them uh, is where did the Dallas Mavericks finish? (laughs) Because (laughs) they've got got that um, first round pick coming. And obviously I, I think the trade for, to get Trey Young and to trade away Luka Doncic is probably going to be a loser um, for the rest of their careers. But Trey Young's been good, uh, and if you get a decent first-round pick next year to add to this young core, maybe it's not like a a monumental loss anymore. I mean, Luka, Luka is Luka. I mean, it's I don't think they're ever going to fully recoup the value of trading him away. Um, but if if Trey Young continues to rise the way he has the last couple months, and they can get I'm just repeating myself now, but if they can get another interesting guy in this draft to add to it, then it's it's not a complete loss. Trey Young's last 15 games per 36 minutes, 23.9 points, 9 assists, 44.7% shooting, 43.1% from downtown on 7.3 attempts, 84.5% from the foul line. He, yeah, he's been he's been stellar they, lately. Yeah, he's been – I. I, I, too, gave them a B. Uh, no, I gave them a B-plus just because they have gradually improved throughout the season. They're I really they're going to have to look at, and this is something they could – I don't really know what they could try before the end of the season, but the, John Collins' defense is just not good. It's, it's bordering on terrible. And where do you play him? I think a lot of people, including myself, have entertained his future might be at the five. The Hawks might just be in a situation where they have to meld – the four or five on either side of the ball where it's you have someone who can space the floor on offense next to John Collins, but he's, he's functionally your center on defense. And Dwayne Dedman is a pretty good archetype for that, but not moving forward when you look at, at their timeline. He's probably not good enough to carry John Collins in that way. That trajectory or that outlook uh, really should dictate what they do in free agency this summer. That's just something for them. Maybe they can try more Prince and, and Collins and, and just go super small and see if the offense really uh, plays – outplays the defense by a large enough margin but Collins has been so good that we're gonna have to start looking at uh, his defensive flaws a little bit more yeah that's probably fair I still think his long-term uh ceiling is is most likely reached as a five but he's he's probably got to get better defensively to do that and this is still my favorite uh potential landing spot for Zion because if you're four or five is Zion Williamson and John Collins um and you've got the shooting of Young and Herder to to keep guys away from the paint. That's a really and even John Collins has been a decent shooter this season. So that's 
there's there's a lot to be excited about if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan over the next two or three years. I, I think this rebuild was Luka Doncic trade notwithstanding, um, it was it was done in a pretty smart way. Um, unless you've got anything else, that wraps us up. This is this is like the first time all season we were able to do an entire conference in one episode. So shout out to us. Uh, Sub. It was about when you when you bake out the intro. About an hour and fifteen minutes for all fifteen teams. That's not bad. That that's about. As I, don't, I don't feel that we skimped anywhere. Although I'm tired of talking about the Celtics, so maybe we really just yeah. cruised through that one. Um, that that was our. Uh, I'm trying to think of like an under the radar efficient player. That was our Seth Curry uh, episode. Seth Curry, um, the leader in defensive rating differential in the league. There you go. Um, if you want to talk to us about any of these grades or yell at us and say that we did horribly, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favalli. Uh, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Uh, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you've already completed those steps, uh, we thank you, but implore you to encourage your friends and family to do the same. And as always, we leave you with the shout out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.